Good morning, my name is Isaac. Today's Bible passage is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. I believe the end of chapter 1, um, Paul was talking about standing firm while struggling and suffering for Jesus. Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Good morning. I wonder if you know the show Bluey. Hands up if you know Bluey. Uh, some of you do. I know it might be the wrong crowd. If you don't have young children, it's quite unlikely you know about Bluey. Uh, if, you're not, if you're not familiar with Bluey, let me tell you about it. It's an incredibly popular Australian show. It's probably the best thing since The Wiggles. Uh, even parents love it. Uh, it's found great success, not just in Australia, but all over the world. We should be very proud of Bluey because it's Australian. Uh, it's a show about uh, Bluey, a six-year-old blue healer dog and her family. And unlike a lot of shows where the dad is a bit of a loser who hates spending time with his children, think Homer Simpson, Bandit, Bandit healer, the dad, is the perfect dad. One article said, Bandit, the blue healer dad in Bluey, is a creative genius when it comes to playing with his children. Sure, he'd rather be watching the cricket, but Bandit still allows himself to be roped into wildly imaginative games of horsey weddings, tickle crabs, and rug island, much to the wide-eyed delight of his kids. One article says, um, how he has now become the ultimate guide to fatherhood. Uh, another article even claims, new study, or well, new study, wow, scientific. New study confirms dads need to be more like bandit when playing with kids. Honestly, I don't really like bandit. 
because he makes me feel insecure. Watching him just highlights all my deficiencies as a dad. I just wish there was one episode where Bandit is screaming at the kids. You see, Bandit is a great example of what being a dad looks like. He shows me what to do, but I just find myself unable to do it. Do you know what I mean? Now, what does Bandit have to do with our passage today? Well, we're going to pray, and then we're going to look at our passage together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you, and as Jen had prayed for us, we pray again, Lord, be with us. And we pray that you would speak to us in your word. Please help me as I expound your word, as I preach your word, that it might land on fertile soil. Give us encouragement. Give us your grace because that is what we need to propel us forward in obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We finished last week's passage with an exhortation. If you believe in Jesus, you are also called to suffer with Jesus. So Paul tells us to stand firm, have courage, And he points us to that future reality that is so much better than the promise of ice cream, our citizenship in heaven, our eternal deliverance. And God will get us there. He won't abandon us on a shelf forgotten because he finishes what he starts. But the vision and the prayer is that we get there together. So here Paul tells them to be like-minded, to be humble, to serve one another, be united. And notice the reason that he gives. Chapter two, verse one, if you've got your Bible in front of you, please open it and so you can follow along, but I'll have it up on the screen too. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, See, all these things that you have received from Jesus, if you've experienced being united with Jesus, if Christ lives in you, if you know and experience his love, if his spirit dwells within you, then verse two, Paul tells them, be of the same mind, the same love, one spirit, one mind, stick together. Verse two, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one spirit and of one mind. Do you see that Paul wants us to be united? Paul tells the Philippians, be united. But how? How can a church with so many different people be united together? What do you do? Should we we all dress the same? Will that create unity? Get everyone the same shirt and make everyone wear it on Sunday? Is that unity? Should we start holding hands while we sing? Will that create unity? Now, it may look good on photos, but it won't unite us. So how do we get there? Paul tells us in verse three, you wanna be united, here is how. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests 
of the others. We need to be humble. That is what will lead us to unity. But what is humility? Humility isn't rejecting people's thanks or praise. That would be false humility. Uh, one day, a minister preached quite a decent sermon, and while he was shaking people's hands at the door, one lady came up to, be, to him and said, thank you so much, pastor. That was an inspiring sermon. That was wonderful. And he said, no, 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 please, please do not say that. It wasn't me, it wasn't me preaching, it was Jesus preaching. And the lady smiled and said, if it was Jesus, it would be so much better. <laughs> that's not humility, that's false humility, rejecting thanks. He should have just said, you're welcome. How did that encourage you? See, verse three and four actually tells us what re really what humility is. It's valuing others above yourself, looking at other people and saying, they're more important than me. It's not about having low self-esteem or having no confidence. Humility actually requires you to, great, to have a great deal of confidence in yourself. To be able to think that other people is more important than you requires a lot of security in yourself. Humility raises our gaze. Humility changes our focus away from ourselves, away from looking down into ourselves. It raises our gaze so that we will look onto others and go and serve them. Verse four, it gets us not to look at our own interests, but to the interests of others. Think about it, what stops us from serving people? It's because we don't see them. We are so preoccupied with our own feelings, our own reputation, our own enjoyment, our own preferences, even our own insecurity. And because of that, we don't step out and serve people. We're too busy looking down. We can even be so preoccupied with our own hurt and our own pain and our own experience that we don't see the pain and hurt and experience of others. And so we're not gonna serve them. One time I had a fight with my wife and she's in the room right now, so I need to be very careful with my words. I felt she was blaming me for something I had no knowledge of. She didn't tell me, how would I know? Why are you blaming me? I thought it was totally unfair. Now, if I had kept looking down and that is all I'm preoccupied with, and I don't raise my gaze and understand her and her frustrations and her feelings, if I'm just concerned about not wanting to be blamed, and I don't raise my gaze to look at her and how this is affecting her, I am not gonna serve her. Isn't that right? And just so you know, I did repent and ask for forgiveness. If we don't raise our gaze and look to the interests of others, we will never serve them and we will never be united. If we are going to move forward together as a united church, held together by the same vision of standing pure and blameless on the day of Jesus together, with more and more people joining us, 
we need to raise our gaze. If you are new with us, and you've only been here for the last three weeks, like me, uh, you may be a bit shocked that we're singing hymns accompanied by our organists today. Why do we do this? I take it it's because we want to not look at our own preferred worship style, but instead each of us look to the preferred worship style of others. As you know, we have a group of older members who had given up much. They were used to singing hymns accompanied by the organ every Sunday for decades. And now the two services combine, they've lost all that. They, they had to consider the interest of other people, other people in the church, above their own, and be okay with a combined service that is predominantly modern and contemporary. Having to learn songs that's hard to sing, to recite a slightly different version of the Lord's Prayer, and they've been incredibly adaptable and humble and generous. And I think it is absolutely right for the rest of us to be humble too, to raise our gaze and serve them this way. And if I, add, if I may add, to do so joyfully, not as something horrible to tolerate, but something wonderful to celebrate. Why? Because that's the kind of church God wants us to be. God wants us to be a church where each and every one of us raises our gaze and serve one another. A church where we're fighting to serve each other rather than fighting to get our way. The truth is, I know we may lose some new people. Visitors might join, newcomers might think, I can't do this, it's not my style, I can't sing any of the songs, I want something I'm familiar with. And they'll go and they'll leave to the church next door with music that's more appropriate to their culture. And that's okay. Because loving one another is more important than that. Because the world will know that we are disciples of Jesus because we love one another. Because the older folks matter as much as everyone else and they are not a separate group they're a part of us. They belong to us as we belong to them. Because we want in this church, in humility, to raise our gaze and serve one another. And you know what? I, by the grace of God, I think some will join us still. And they will be people who will also want to stop looking at themselves and raise their gaze and serve one another. Because that's the humility that God wants us to have. So for now, we're gonna keep doing it. And we're gonna to learn to appreciate the beauty of it together. You don't have to like the pipe organ. I'm really sorry, Brian. But I want you to love one another. You don't have to love the drums. That's fine. If you hate the drums, that's okay. But I want you to love one another. That's why we do this, right? I've only been here for four weeks. So I'm assuming that's why we do it. That's why we're gonna do it from now on. You wanna be a united church? Be of one mind and one spirit, not torn apart by discord and jealousy. God tells us how. Each of us be humble, stop looking at ourselves and raise our gaze and serve one another. 
If you're wondering, should there be a limit to our humility and service of one another? What's the limit? That sounds really hard. What is the standard? If you're wondering what the standard is, here it is. Be like Christ. Have a look at verse 5. In your relationship with one another, in the way you treat each other, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Here's the standard. Be like Jesus because Jesus embodies everything we just talked about. He was not preoccupied with his own status as God. He raised his gaze. So maybe for Jesus, he lowered his gaze and he looked at us and he served us. He even lowered himself. Verse 6. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to, use, to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Just imagine for a moment the God of the universe, the God who made everything that we see, everything that exists, that God taking on human frailty, the master becoming a servant, the creator becoming creature. I really wanted to illustrate this, but I, I find it really hard to do that. I went to an information session for Maddie, my um, year two a little girl last week at her school and parents were invited to the classroom. This is not the picture of that classroom. I just want you to know. Um, this is just a photo that I found online, although the demographic is very, very precise there. And of course, we were invited to the classroom and we had to sit in those small chairs. So the teacher giving those presentation looks really big and we the parents look really, really small and we're close to the ground. They're much taller than we are. I think they deliberately did that. I think it was, I think it was a power play to really put us in our place. At one point I felt like I had to put my hand up and ask permission to go to the toilet. Excuse me miss, can I go to the toilet? Uh, is that what Jesus did, like a parent becoming a year two student? No, it's, it's infinitely more, right? Is it like us turning into worms? No, not at all, because humans and worms, as different as we are, we're still creatures. This is creator becoming creation, master becoming servant, it's infinitely more. And you know what? Jesus went a step further. He didn't just lower himself and became human. He didn't just take on human frailty. He took on human death. And notice he did this in obedience to God the Father. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus did not look to his own comfort, his own pleasure, even his own life. It's as if his incarnation was not humbling enough. He had to humble himself even more by dying. But dying was not enough either. He humbled himself even further. He took it upon himself, the most shameful death. I think we read that and we take the last line for granted. But Paul is emphasizing here, I think, another step down the ladder of humility. Jesus didn't just take our humanity. humanity. He took our death but not just any death. He took the most shameful death. See, the cross was the ultimate symbol of shame 
in the Roman Empire. The condemned would be hung naked on the cross to die a slow, agonizing death as people jeered and mocked and watched, sometimes for weeks. It was shame upon shame upon shame. The Bible even sees it as curses upon curses upon curses. The lowest of the lowest place. That's humility. Now the world will think that this is just utter stupidity, that Jesus is such a loser. But God has made the world so that those who are first will be last and the last will be first. Those who lay themselves down for others will be exalted and Jesus did this supremely. Verse nine. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. From the lowest of the lowest, God raised him up to the highest place. This is Jesus, the King of kings, Lord of lords. And whether you do it now or you do it later, whether you do it willingly or you do it joyfully, you will confess and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. You will bend the knee. For every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Let's think of some applications. I think this week's application is pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, I've already mentioned it. The passage gives us direct instructions here. Be united, be like-minded, and to do that, you're gonna to have to be humble. Stop looking at yourself, raise your gaze, and serve others. But more than that, be like Jesus. Be as humble as Jesus. That's a pretty simple application. I can finish the sermon here, and many of you will celebrate, finally, a 20-minute sermon. But if I do, I think you'll end up feeling the same way about Jesus as I do about Bandit. I look at Bandit and I know I need to be like him, play horsey wedding with my daughter, be super patient with them, but I always find myself falling short. But I want you to know that Jesus is different from Bandit. Do you know how? I get a lot of videos on social media on parenting. It's a big thing for me, because I'm a parent. Lots of wonderful advice, practical skills, motivational and inspirational. But there are two fundamental problems with all of them. In fact, there are two fundamental problems with all of this self-improvement, motivational stuff that you see in the secular world. I'll tell you one of them today, and if you want to know the other problem, you can ask me later. This is one of their biggest problem, one of their most fundamental basic problem. They all underestimate our sinfulness and brokenness. They assume that we're not that bad. Humans are actually really good. Some assume we're actually perfect and we're just ruined by our upbringing. We're ruined by past trauma. We're ruined by our society. Even the ones who accept that there is something intrinsically wrong with us, um, someone like Jordan Peterson, he calls it our weakness, our vulnerabilities. He still underestimates it greatly. This whole self-improvement, motivational movement that we see in our secular world thinks that we just need better knowledge. If you just give people better education, better knowledge, better skills, if we learn this new life hack, 
these 12 rules to live by, these five principles, these examples to follow, then all will be well. That is the devil's lie. And we Christians can fall into the same trap as we look at the Bible. We can look at the instructions in chapter two, be humble, be like Jesus, and we think to ourselves, yes, I'm gonna do that from now on, sure, no problem, I'll go and do that. It is a lie, we will fail. I look at Jesus and I go, how can I be like that? He infinitely lowered himself to become part of creation, to die, to die the most shameful of death. How can I measure up? I can't even keep my patience when my kids frustrate me. How can I be like Jesus? It's impossible. But friends, here is the good news. This is how Jesus is different from Bandit. Jesus dealt with our most important problem, a problem that no amount of rules or instructions or advice or knowledge or skill or example or inspiration can ever overcome because the problem is right here. It is in each and every one of us. It is in the heart, it is our sinfulness. And this is the genius of Paul when he retells the story of Jesus' humility as an example for us, his incarnation, his perfect obedience, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation. If you are a Christian, as you read these words, they will reverberate inside of you. Your hearts will resonate because you know that Jesus did all this for you. He humbled himself for you and for me, for us who would receive it. He didn't just die on the cross to be a great example for us to follow or an inspiration for us to idealize. He died on the cross to deal with the sinfulness lurking in our hearts that stops us from being humble. What stops you from being humble? Let me tell you, it's not because you didn't know that you need to consider the interests of others above yourself. You know it already. What stops us is our sinfulness. The selfishness that is so ingrained in all of us all this self-improvement, motivational stuff can never overcome that. Even the expiring example of bandit healer cannot overcome that. You wanna be humble? Maybe like me, you wanna be a better dad or a better mother or a better husband or a better wife, a better friend. You need to raise your gaze further up and look to the cross. You need Jesus' love for you. You need to open up your arms and bask in his glorious grace for you again and again. You need to return to the cross with open arms in awe of his unmerited love for you again and again. There's a wonderful book called Deeper by Dane Ortland, and in the book he said this, this is the surprise of the Christian life. We get traction in our spiritual lives, not centrally as we get down to work, but as we open our hands 
We need to open our fist and our eyes to lift both and lift both heavenward to receive his love. And I think this is the genius of Paul as he writes verses 5 to 11. He's lifting our eyes to Jesus so we might receive his love anew. In fact, I'm not making this up because Paul already said it in verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, you see what Paul had been saying all along, you need his love. You need his tenderness, you need Jesus, you need the spirit of Christ in you. And when you are full of his love, you will forget yourself. It will stop you from looking inwardly about your problem and your feelings and your opinion and your wants and needs. And you will raise your gaze to look at others and serve them. If you want to be humble, you need to be propelled by God's love for you. I was talking to someone yesterday and he said, wow, Dow, it must be really hard for you. And I said, uh-oh, what do you mean? You know, you have to balance all the needs of all these different groups of people at church, these different people at church with different ideas of what church should be. And I said to him, if that's what I have to do, then yes, that will be very hard, but I'm not doing that. In fact, I don't want us to be a church where different people and different groups are competing against each other with their different needs and different wants and different opinions. I, I definitely do not want to be in the middle of that. And God doesn't want us to be a church like that either. If that is how we function as a church, we are exactly like the world, elbowing each other to get to sit at the right hand and at the left hand. No, God wants us to be a church where we all raise our gaze to serve one another, where we don't consider our interests and wants or opinions or whatever, but we consider that of others. But most importantly, God wants us to be a church where we all raise our gaze even further up to Jesus, to look to the cross, to bask in his love, to be showered by his grace, to know that we are loved even more than we ever imagine, and that will propel us to humility, that will fill our cup so that we might share with others, there is the fount of humility. So go to Jesus first, and then go and serve one another.